0: Hello and welcome to How Did You Manage That, the podcast all about music managers who are doing amazing, innovative, interesting things right now. My name's Ali.
1: My name's Sophie
0: and we are currently sitting in a fairly loud canteen at Sony Music Sony Music is the home to amazing labels like Columbia, RCA Ministry of Sound, Since 93, Black Butter, so many other ones, if I look around in the walls I mean this maybe isn't the biggest ringing endorsement but I can see a Jamiroquai logo, there's Peril Jam on the wall, there's Leona Lewis, I'm really picking out the big hitters here that they've got, um, this is a home of Psycho as well, some of the biggest labels and some of the biggest artists on the planet, uh, and Sophie and I are here today to interview one of one, one of their big bosses at Ministry of Sound.
1: Yep so we are here today interviewing Zion Richards who is an A&R at Ministry of Sound but also a very successful manager. He owns and runs the renowned group which manages Wretch32, Hamza, Knox Brown and lots of other amazing artists.
0: So we're just about to go in and interview him. We're waiting to try and blag a room here that we can have the conversation in that isn't the loudest place on the planet.
1: I think it's going to be a really interesting one today, Ali, because obviously I've said he's an ANR and he's a manager as well, but he also has got a lot to chat about in terms of mental health.
0: If at any point during the podcast you're listening to it and you want to reach out and join in the conversation around it, you can tweet us at Manage That Pod.
1: I think it looks like we found a room now, so... Let's go in, and uh, here it is. How Did You Manage That? is a podcast brought to you by the Music Managers Forum, a.k.a. the MMF and AWOL. So we are here with Zion Richards, who is manager and owner of Renowned Group, which looks after 3 32, Hamza. I've literally just forgotten the other people you've told me on the roster, which makes me a terrible person. So please That's step in fine. and tell me Tia. Tia Lops carries Brown yeah.
2: Keep, Fill we've it got in. A producer called, <laughs> I mean, a producer called um, I call him Jerome, Jerome Williams. Who, and then also we have got a presenter called Henry.
1: Oh, interesting. So diversifying out of music and into that presenter territory. Well, do well. you know what? To be,
2: to be fair, I think she's the first presenter, but I've always kind of just been like, if I like it, let's just do it. And like, I used to do George the Poet, and I saw him in a room as big as this, which is quite small, and we ended up getting nominated for a Brit, and he'd done the Royal Wedding. So I feel like if, just, if you just fall in love, you're like, i just got to do it, then you just fall you just follow it and see where it takes you.
1: That's a great way to think about it. I like that. If you love it, you'll do it. You'll have a yeah, passion yeah, yeah. for it and you'll push it wherever you need to to yeah. go. Right. So let's take it back a little bit. So tell us about your journey in management. How did you sort of start? Out?
2: Okay. So when I was 14, 15, I was just like an avid fan of just like UK music. And I'd never really got into US music. I was all very much just like Garage and then like whatever Gram called. I was just a fan of it. So then it's like, oh, let's try and do music. So I was doing music and I was like, I hated like attention. I hated being in the the forefront of it. But I just know I liked being around it. And I had a kind of saving grace because we was in a, a kind of collective and we was on the same station as like Skeptar, JME and Spiral who made um, Big Fear Beats for Stormzy was our DJ. And um, Retch came later but he was a friend that we knew and i was like oh he's really good and he's very obsessive over it and he bought a dab one time from work and that's how i discovered like one extra and national radio and i was kind of just like to him i think we should concentrate on you so we'll do this project our last kind of project as a kind of collective and then we'll focus on you and that was the first time i dealt with like pressing up cds doing artwork picking the track listing and then just giving it away at first. And what
0: age are you right here?
2: It's like 15, 16. So um, doing that, and that was kind of my first thing with management, but I never wanted to be a manager. I I felt like that's too much responsibility. So as the years kind of progressed of just like continuously um, releasing projects and having to find distributors and manufacturers and the songs, um, I was just kind of going through my studies and all the rest, doing it as kind of my side... um, just like my my hobby per se that i was passionate about and um, whenever i would apply for a job they would say you know you're saying you've got stuff on mtv and all the rest it's too good to be true and maybe you should be looking at a career in music but i didn't know that was kind of a realistic goal per se and it got a point when artists started to do well um, so there was the start of like Endav's, um Chip, who was managed by a guy that lived six doors away from me. So it was my childhood friend who started a studio before us, and we was like, "No, don't do music. There's no money in it." And so then, and then I think Tiny had his success. So I said to Retch, "Look, this is our window. We, we know we've, there's, a, there's a chance now." And um, that was the first time that I sat there and was like. Actually, I'm gonna be a manager and this is how I'm gonna do it. Because I I was a I just got a job as a buyer where you manage um suppliers. Yeah. And say so I managed like 12 suppliers and it was different relationships. Which was, and I just remember this one meeting where this guy sat down with me, he said, Hi Zion, started so done a small talk, and then he goes this is why you're going to buy this product. And he was like bouncing across the room. <laughs> and like, I kind of zoned out and thought, all the meetings I've done in music and I've never actually said what I want. I've always just sat there, met, spoken, gone away, but I've never said, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is my why. And I, that day I said to Rich, all right, we're going to call these people. You're not coming to the meeting. Um, we had these two girls that were helping us make a couple of like merchandise stuff. And I was like, look, I'm going to say these are my assistants. Um, and I called um, Twin B, and I didn't really know he was an A I just knew he was in the business, mm. and he came. Was he at
1: Atlantic at this time?
2: No. So he at leveled? that time, I didn't know exactly what. I just knew he was on BBC, Damn. and I called him for advice. So he comes there with Jamal Edwards just before SBTV kicked off. He was like three hours late, and <laughs> he, <laughs> which is like a Twin, and <laughs> um, and he comes in, and I say. Um, so i've known you for a long time because i was i was in amongst them. i was going to all the events i knew yeah, everyone i just didn't know that you could get i didn't never think hold on should i get a job here yeah, yeah, that. and then um i said look these are the three songs this is our direction and what we want to do this is the plan and he sat there and goes oh my gosh i'm just getting a record label with ministry of sound i want to sign you and i just sat there i was like what because <laughs> that wasn't what the call was but that was the first meeting I'd ever gone in with focus and a plan yeah. and it didn't happen immediately because they were still working on their deal but we started a working relationship and yeah we ended up doing some type of small singles deal and I I mean the deals have changed so much but I remember the deal was like 15 grand so my share was like 3 grand and I quit my job I was like, like yes here we go <laughs> Yeah, yeah I quit. rich beyond my wildest dreams <laughs> and my wife my wife was just like are you really going to leave? And even, like, the people at the job, they're like, are you really going to go? And I was like, look, man, I just need to bite the bullet and go for it. I just need to go for it. Yeah. And I didn't earn any more money for, like, six months. <laughs> for, like, six months. How did your like, wife
1: feel about that six months later? She was like...
2: <clears throat> um, do you know what? I think... I don't, I was just, like, tunnel vision. It didn't... It was always... That was it. Like we had our chance. I, I, I just had to go for it at that point. And um, we had a weird scenario where we had a certain release date, say in August, for track to the first single. And because those days, they used to do a 12 week campaign. Yeah, Um, you did.
1: And you had an impact date.
2: Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where did they go? And then we got a call and um, the market manager said, look, we think we should move this down to January. And I was just like, but obviously I knew that regardless of whether we charted, that impacted upon income from live or the rest. So yeah, that six grand like, had to last for so yeah, long. And I, I had know, billed, God! No, three grand, sorry. So <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, it was really tough. And then, but then when that um, it ended up going in uh, number five and we had another record and then things just started happening. So then I realised, I was like, oh shoot, I love being in this and I can't allow it to go and that's why I started looking for other artists but that was kind of my start
1: when Tractor obviously went in to the top five and you were starting to things were starting to move when did you start to look at like Live and stuff like that because that obviously is another quite big income source once it starts. Well, rolling. those
2: days were quite different because there was a lot of Luminar, um nightclubs. So oh, I don't yeah. remember if you remember Oceana. I do indeed. The so one um, in Kingston,
1: I went too many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
2: those days, you could go up and down the country and do like fifteen, twenty of them. And it wasn't a lot of money; say so yeah, it was like four or five hundred quid, but that was like that was a weekly income for yeah, us that we could course. go and do. So that. I remember the booking agent being quite reluctant to do because he's thinking, if you have a couple of hits, you can get more money, and he was right. But from the get go, we we could do that, and because then we had another song on the radio with um, Unorthodox, and we just had things happen. So we, I remember just bumping into Pro Green um, in Selfridges, and I don't know what business I had been in Selfridges, and he was like, "Oh, do you want to come and tour with me next week?" And then. We, I, we, because it was just a singles deal with options. I went to the record company and was like, "Look, I know you don't give do tour support, but if you just give me enough car for petrol and a rental, I'll rent the car and drive it myself." There you go. And so I was, yeah, driving it, T.M.ing it, and, and that's why reg is the on DJ. The radio. That's why, we're yeah, on the radio, you oh know? yeah, like, hundred percent. And you mean. know, to be honest with you, it's weird because I've always kind of had that. Maybe because I've had that attitude of. I, I kind of say it like, well, oh, I'm prepared to, sh- I'm prepared to sweep the street. So, in any job, I like to know it from bottom to up. So, if someone's, like, I'm, I, it's good for people to see that. Well, he's willing to do that job. Um, I'm always, yeah, that's always been my attitude. So, whether that be, I'll be the person on the door ticking off the guest list to the person's doing cleaning up at the end of the night. You, I think if you're not prepared to kind of roll your sleeves up, then this isn't really the business for you.
0: And that kind of takes us to what we were talking about before we hit record, which is you having many different roles. You know, we're sitting here in Sony Music, you're A&R at Ministry. And so you're just juggling that. It's just a normal thing. How do you find that juggle between management, between A&R? Well, do you know what?
2: So there was a time when Ferdy called me and was like, come see me. And I'd never really gone to Plymouth. I didn't really know Ferdy. And he goes, come be an A&R. And I said to him, look, I'm not not built for a job. I've got my own life, I've got my own thing. He goes, come consult. I said, all right, fine, I'll do it. And in my head, (laughs) I thought, well, if you're going to pay me, and I would find stuff anyway, fine. And then, um, to be fair, through sometimes a bit of fear, because maybe when management clients wasn't earning as much and the overheads, I had that. So then my kind of pressure of, I've better maintain this because I can't afford for it to go. And then it was like, ended up signing Steph London, and it was like, oh, shoot this is like a full-on project now. So uh, what that that pressure of that and the workload helped me to kind of have a couple of younger people who want to get into business and develop with them. So there's a kind of structure. Um, yeah. It's a mad business and it's a bit all over the place. But in my head, I have a bit of structure. I know how it works. Mm-hmm. So uh, first thing I do in the morning is like go through everyone's to-do list, what we've got to do like diaries, then I get onto my emails and then it's like, okay, I'm in and out of meetings. What can I do? What can I? Yeah. it's a From that, like when it gets to a certain point, then it's like, I'm just fighting off all the fires. But in the morning, I do have a structure, which is like, okay, I wake up quite early. I tidy up, I go to gym and then I do this and then it's like, once my emails are done and once I'm in the meeting mode, then it's like looking at my phone and out of it and just batting off. Ducking in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: how much is that when you first had Rich and you had that single and you were like, we've got a plan here and you went to some of plan? Has that stuck with you?
2: Um, so what happened at first with rich I, just, I didn't handle it really well because basically, if you imagine... I you get to, have to travel a lot yeah so I was going to countries I'd never been to before and I was enjoying but I would be the first person up going through emails and all the rest yeah and I felt like I was I was going to miss something so I had that anxiety of like okay I'm going to miss uh, I just couldn't settle and um I had to like read books and I had not read uh, like i don't read a book since like i've done my a levels (laughs) because really with my degree i was like picking choosing what i want to think and i had to read books of like how to deal with time management and how to deal with anxiety and all the rest because it was just making me like i think unhealthy in a sense totally because it was just like you think i just always thought i was going to miss something and that thing i was going to miss was going to be the end of the world and was going to stop all this and yeah, yeah. I, do you I think that was really the pressure
0: hard? of, you know, really looking after essentially your mate's career? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. One misstep,
0: yeah. that's a total pressure that so many Yeah, and do, I think you know?
2: it's bigger because we grew up in the same housing estate. So the responsibility for me is like, and it, we have it even now when I'm like batting bat something and I'm like, look, because I know the significance of it because I'm uh-huh. thinking about, I wasn't even a father at that point, but he is. So I'm like, okay but that's gonna mean this for your kids in a couple of years time and that and his mind's very like in the short and i'm like thinking like five years ahead ten yeah, years ahead or, and also like in a weird way and it, i don't want to say it, in the worst possible thing is that i actually i love this thing like and i'm like i don't want to lose it and i don't want to go back to that because this is great like, do you know what i mean like so it's a lot of that if that makes sense oh that's
0: a good motivator and to keep you yeah going and one, i have that sense, yeah. today
2: like I, I feel like we all we are so lucky to be in the music industry at a time when we're all trying to work it out thinking about like the, the talent as well yeah. because like i ain't got talent like, i got no talent so when you see something in someone else like maybe they don't see it in themselves and i'm like okay that person's trusted their life their time is
1: you can see talent in people not a lot of people can do that that's the talent in itself. I yeah, think. yeah.
2: And then, you know what? And to be in the most like non-egotistical way, I like accept that as well. But I accept that's pressure. So I don't think, well, I've done it before. No, no. I'm like trying to like convince myself because you all have that moment so you're like, I'm not sure. Like, am I am I going crazy? And then you might play it to someone and they like lose their mind. You're like, okay, oh relief. I'm not lost. <laughs> yeah, 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 relief. And yeah. that could be some like kids. So I remember uh-huh. having that Steph London hurting me demo. And like, I used to work from my house those times and there was a guy, Camille, who's my next door neighbour that works with me. He's at like, like, yep. my sister's age. And then I'm a young girl and they were like, going crazy to this song. So I'm like, oh my God, this is a big record. And then I'm mean. sitting there with Ben Mortimer and he's like, don't like that song, it's not a hit. And I can't be like, oh, these two kids in my house. I'm like, look, maybe, maybe for experience, interpret what they're saying and that thing and then articulate it in a way that conveys to him and hope to find that medium and I feel like that's probably what age and experience brings you more so than anything
1: and it's interesting because obviously I know a lot of younger younger managers who go into labels with tracks that they love and they'll sit with an A&R and A&R going I don't like it and then they'll sort of go out and scrap that track because Mm -hmm. they truly believe that the A&R's word is gospel and it's not it's about Truly having faith in what you have in the product and how you can put it to the masses, even if someone doesn't agree with it. I think that's really interesting.
2: I I think so. I think it's like, firstly, you can't be afraid of failure. And the truth is, none of us know. I don't think any of us heard Vozzy Bop and thought that was a platinum record that's going to be go number (laughs) one. Because at the time, I was around... That was just supposed to be a Uh stopgap. And it's like, gone platinum. It's one of those things where I think... um, you have to kind of just trust yourself a bit in amongst all this because it's just such a changing thing and you've got to be like, okay, I'm just going to trust me and I'm going to be confident enough to live or die by your own decisions. I think that's, that's all right.
0: Are there, is there anyone that has properly got away? Any track you've heard and you've gone, nah. That bossy record I yeah.
2: heard it And I was like Who the hell wants to hear Idris Elba rap <laughs> <laughs> And I wasn't like Yeah I'm like yeah, yeah. But you know what And it's funny because What I didn't do maybe I think I probably did Play it to my missus But she's like You didn't play that song to me And if I did I might have seen it In a different realm Because I was just thinking About it from OK, there's a lot of like older artists on this. This is How can this cut through? And it was so funny because I was listening to a podcast yesterday about how that song came about. And that taught me a lot because I knew that Idris had held it and was like, oh, I would love to go on this. And why is that? Like, all right, then, go on. And he takes the song and he's with Steph. And he's like, oh, I recorded this yesterday. What do you think? Steph's like, oh, this is all right. I'll go on it. Records it. And then he goes, oh, I was with um, Sean Paul yesterday. You think it's alright if I send it to him?
1: She, <laughs> so they all
2: sorted that out, and then like sent it back to Wiley. He wasn't even aware. because also when I got it, I was like, oh, they won't, they won't. Who's gonna clear that? But then you're like, what? Sometimes you put all these barriers in. Why the hell, like, should, yeah.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Sort of that line as well as it make your girl melt like a toasty. Yeah, Literally, that cracks me up every day. I just imagine like in like three years time, Idris Elba is going to do an endorsement with Warburtons or Hovis, and that's going to be like the line. And, like, I tell just, you, the beautiful thing about up. music
2: is that like we're all sitting <laughs> in here and we all died, we've all grab onto different sides of the song, yeah. And I think like the one thing that. Certain experiences have taught me certain things, like just maybe travelling sometimes and seeing the type of people that like a song and what they like about it and all the rest. And I feel like sometimes that helps when you're thinking about an artist and you're like, okay, why would this artist do well? Because even like someone like Fredo, I actively said, this is someone that should be signing, this is why, and I feel like he's Sunday Times culture because if you look at like British culture, we like to we want to see things in its most authentic thing, but through a safe place. And I was like, that is that. And um, the guy, like, the boss at the time didn't get it. And I was like, I could just see why. And then I live in... I moved to Hertfordshire, and I was coming back um, from a mill, and these three British girls were just blasting out the music. And I was like, oh. But if I didn't live there, I wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, yeah, we... And then, conversely... I wanted to sign H and I couldn't sign him because the guys in the office who uh-huh. were the guys like, like English middle, like white, they were like oh I don't think he's credible and I'm like no 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 guys it doesn't matter like he's who and he's yeah. like he's, grinding, he's working with his grinders on a building site like credibility doesn't yeah. mean that he's just from the street it means that like, they live in their truth yeah. Yeah. so it's just like but you go you got, I watched his
0: gas works he was on the other day the boiler room one and it's incredible like he's I just I haven't like, watched like, it I've got him it's amazing mark. yeah get that watch because it's just 30 minutes of him just sitting there chatting and he's like. Completely,
2: he doesn't even care. No but so I met so I met him in a room like this. Uh, so for me that was fine. Yeah. And I met him and I was like, tell me about yourself. He's like, I'm just working on the site with my granddad. And I was like, What? He's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, if I could stop doing that. And I've like I've been around enough characters and know that someone like that people connect with. Yeah.
1: Um so yeah, so can we talk about Hamza for a bit? Yeah. Um she seems to be somebody who is she signed to is it Parlophone now? Yeah. Correct? And she seems to have she did the jewels thing which was amazing and she's got quite a buzz around her. What was the process? How did you sort of come across her to where okay. she is now? So
2: two ways. So I I was sitting in an A&R meeting at Paradord and we were doing the voice and they was talking about the voice And I always kind of just check out the voice Because that was like, it's, it's bad experiences for me yeah. <laughs> And they're like, oh my god, oh my god This girl's pulled out, she's pulled out, she's pulled out You know, she was going to win the whole thing And I was, and then they said her first name, Malika I was like, oh, send me the VTs, you know And then I said, is she so good? I oh, just like, just do a development deal And then it's like, we don't do development deals Oh, fine And then, um, so I DM'd her um, But I didn't get around to meeting her And then Ella who was interning for me and now co-manages her I was at my house and she's like, All right, so you know, every week Ella brings a new act. Oh, it's amazing, the best thing ever. <laughs> so like, I got quite immune to it. She's like, no, 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 seriously, this, this one, this one. And I was like, look, you go and meet her, and then come back to me. But and then I was, what's her name? Oh, Malika Hamza. And I was like, oh shit, look, this is two people just told me about this for two different ways. If I don't work, with her, I'm gonna keep myself. So yeah, yeah. she goes anyway. We, I go and meet her and i was about 10 minutes late and the guys are like look listen just playing what you played me and she goes um i made this last night she had produced something and i was like that's you that's you and i was like tell me about yourself and what what it was was that she is from hackney but had been sent to boarding school and she was like look i've done one of my gs season i've dropped out i'm I'm working at Brixton academy i'm taking bus or this that i'm just going to do music and i was just like okay I've kind of been around long enough to know that someone like this they're going to do whatever it takes and we just like I was just like explaining her everything I was like look let's just try and develop yourself And um, couldn't get a session for six months just could not like friends everything just, just like just it. not just want to take it wow
1: it's amazing
2: just not, and I kind of liked it because I was just like people shouldn't do shouldn't do it just because just because it's like, why do you want someone to do a session that's like, This could not. And then, so then I had to revert, think about it from the reverse side. I was like, okay, who's talented that probably hasn't had their break. And I remember there's a couple of producers that I went to see them and I was like, look, you're talented, but you haven't got a vehicle. You haven't got an artist that's kind of put you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Just do this session for me. And one of the first record we had was Breathing. And from that we started getting other sessions. And, and then I was like, okay, and it's just a bit of a weird time because then I'm playing these demos at Polydor and the A&Rs are like, oh, this is great. And then, but it wasn't, they just, no one wanted to do a deal. So I was like, oh, this is fine. And then um, it got to a stage where we'd done EP and I was like, okay, we're going to start now. But I was kind of working out the money side and I was like, okay, I'm probably going to need for 12 months about 50 grand. And... It was just a time when I didn't really have 50 grand, but I was like, cool. So, but then I was looking at the kind of landscape of the business and I applied for a, what's it called again? Like a funding circle. Right. And I was like, look, I'm working, I've had, like, luckily i would had the same company for time. I've worked for management for time. There's had the success. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is like who I've worked with. This is what I've done. This is artists I believe in. Who you give me a business loan? And it's like, next day, yes. So I was like, okay, wow. that gives me, a, yeah, yeah, it was, it was like, it was, it was that. And then I was like, okay, fine. We've got 12 months. If a big sink or something comes along, we can continue to go along um, as independent. If it doesn't, we have to do a record deal, if a deal's there. But Virgin did want to sign her back then. We did have a couple of labels, but I was very much like, no, we have to make our own identity. Mm -hmm. So at that point, that gave us enough. So we shot all our assets. We had our assets Uh banked. It gave us a bit of time to plan. And then I was like, yeah, then I... Yeah,
1: because if you're not in the label machine, you're not on anyone's timeline but your own, right? Exactly.
2: So we had our videos shot, we had an EP mix, had our artwork. So then I would go to people and be like, look, this is our EP, this is our videos, this is our dates. And it wasn't like we got massive support from the get-go, but it allowed people to be like, oh, I could see the whole rollout. So Target played, and then like within a month or something, we got booked for jewels. So it was just like, but yeah, so then we. was... Going and we've done a show, but obviously, at that point, like the money's just getting less and less because it costs. Uh-huh. And I'm like, just hope. And then, like at that point, I'm like, all right, we're gonna have to do a deal unless something comes in. And we went around to meet everyone. Obviously, at that point, I'm working at Sony as well. And then she decided she wanted to go parlophone. It's more, it's so difficult to, to kind of do what we've done before within the label structure. And it's like, but we're gonna do it, but it's just like you've got to fight a lot more battles. Yeah. But, I swear to you, it was just so much easier because it's just like, cool, we're going to make an EP, do our songs, we're going back and forth within ourselves. Oh. And then we have all our assets and we're like, go take one, this is what's going, this one's rolling. Whereas, and I said it to her beforehand, when you work with a record company, it's like so much more voices, so much more opinions. And then it's like a domino effect. If one person doesn't want something, I mean, if like the head of marketing or director of marketing says they don't, don't like something, then the, the, the junior market manager, who perhaps is more hands-on, it's going to be scared to say, actually, no, I believe in yeah. this. And it's like, it's all that. But we are putting out a new EP and it is wicked, but there's still a battle over thing with this. It's, yeah, it's just like a bit, it's less nimble.
1: So can we just touch back on, you said that you used a funding circle for the yeah. Hamza sort of development. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people wouldn't think to go that way or they might even just try and go to a traditional bank who wouldn't get it so can you talk us a bit through that process like what you thought of it how you came across it how you managed to convince them obviously you had a reputation and success so they could sort of count on that but what was the process of making sure that
2: okay so i actually it's weird because i've been with the same bank for like nine years and through good times bad times all the rest (laughs) but i haven't really had it's been fine like and i'm I have a relationship manager now but it wasn't set up in a way that allowed me to be like okay I've got this project and I want to do this so I then was lo- like I think I looked online to check uh, all these kind of funding um, kind of groups for like artistry because I think you 2 had something and that, that got into controversy with the tax thing and I was just looking around digging around because I thought there must be something because at the end of the day it's like this is kind of the world we work in. Totally. And then I came across the funding circle, which was like quick lending. So then I went to them and was just like, well, this is my business. These are my accounts. And um, this is what I've done. I sent a couple of articles. And then they just came back the next day. It was like, "Okay, oh, fine. It was like, it wasn't as comprehensive as what a normal situation was. Oh,
1: wow. And was it, and the thing is, obviously, you have to pay the money back when you're in really Yeah, you so it the back. thing
2: is, I think if I wanted to, like when I'd done the deal, I could have just paid them back. But then I was, I was like, well, oh, actually, I might as well just pay it back over the period of time because mm-hmm. it allows me to think. But if I had another artist that I wanted to... I felt very confident about her. Yeah, like I, yeah, yeah, but yeah, of course. But if there was someone else that I believed in as well, I would, I'd perhaps do the same thing. Um,
1: one of the things that we always like to talk about in the pod is... And one of the reasons we started it was mental health. Mm. And we talked about, you touched on earlier about that thing of feeling anxiety because you're getting, like we said, you're getting all these emails and you're being reactive rather than proactive because there's just so much coming in and things. How how do you now, obviously, manage that a bit more? Like you said, you've got your structure and you get up early in the morning and you exercise, which is meant to be an amazing tonic for your mind anyway. But how do you sort of now look after yourself do you know mentally what? because you must have a lot going on and a lot of emails <laughs> coming and then, you in know what it's, i always
2: say if i worked with in that like confectionery i could have two million products and it's not a thing but if i work with an artist i can't because you're you're dealing with a person and um i me and a couple of other guys like Rich, alec we had to deal with something that's like tougher than you because we our colleague that we worked with every day just suddenly passed away richard antwee and that was one of the toughest, I think probably V, that hurt more than maybe sometimes family done, because that was someone that, you know, I grew up in an estate where there's a lot of gang violence or the rest. And if someone kind of died that way, you'd be like, you know what, you live by that way and there's a chance. Whereas you're always taught that if you work hard and you live like, the right path, then it's like you live a long kind of life. And then here's someone who I got an email from an hour before just dies and you're like, and I've been to America, we've been to Sweden, and it's like, that, that that was tough, because I feel like, luckily I think, I've always been, well, yeah, like someone that would be like, oh, I'm going to go and see, like someone speak to them about this, and, I didn't go like regularly, but what they taught me, was about the journey of my emotions, and I'm quite, not like a nip in the bud type thing, where, but if I feel certain thing, I'm like, okay, I need to go and address this, rather than leaving it, but, I'm, I must say now I'm finding in terms of artists and I don't know if it's more because it's widely spoken about or because of social media mm. a lot more kind of therapeutic help than ever before it wasn't even a conversation before or it wasn't that but now it's like a lot even on my roster and other people it's like yeah, you're recommending saying okay you need to speak to someone Yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've never been like that before but now it's like a lot you know I work with a guy called Knox and he lives in Birmingham and he's just like he's been for someone who lives in Birmingham so successful could do more and like, he just goes missing sometimes and you're like a big opportunity is coming that doesn't take a track to LA and all the rest and it's like yesterday was the first time he's like okay I've gone to see a therapist first time and I'm like because you just you know you're living in Birmingham and it's all the rest and you had records with like Jess Paloma Mary J Blige like Rihanna all that like, big things, but never like and it's like first time. And it, I've, I don't know if it's the world we're in today or because, or it just has, wasn't spoken about. And but it's just like more and more, yeah. wish it's a good thing. It's good, yeah. definitely. But definitely. it's just like, sh- it's just really kind of taken me back. Where yeah, it's like yeah. the support that people need. And I'm, it's, I think maybe our, our minds are very active now. Yeah. We feel like you're missing something all the time, like you're away from it. Oh, shit, what have I missed? Yeah. That, yeah. 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 What's your switch off to that? Well, I've got family, so if I come in, when I get into my house, it's like, I, I don't have a choice. Do you know right. what I mean? It's <laughs> enforced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. good, though. So, That's um, good. Man. Yeah, 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 I saw yeah, a really so.
1: interesting video of you, actually, yesterday when we was doing some research. I think it was when you were talking to Urban Development, yeah. and you mentioned about having an artist who didn't drink at all, but when he went on stage, he'd neck a bottle of Malibu yeah, 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 because yeah. he obviously was so nervous. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that was one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about mental health was because... Obviously now it's become more open to speak about addictions and your demons and your yeah. problems and things. How did you? I don't know who that artist was, and you, you don't have to say if you don't want to. But how did you manage that situation with him? Well, it's funny say to him Rich, having Rich
2: around help because Rich was older and Rich was a lawyer, so he could be like, "Bam." And it's funny <laughs> I was at a wedding with the guy, Jacob Banks, and he was like, "I was speaking to him about it." He's like, "No, no, no, it was always water in there. It was always water in there." <laughs> and <laughs> to this day, coconut I'm like, water. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. And he, I just spoke to him at a wedding the other day, and I was like, "Jacob, do you remember when you used to do this?" He's like, "No, no, no, it was it was water it was not water <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it's like um, yeah those that, that are the things I'd lean on Rich like, Rich deal with that and he would like beat these things head on but it, it's tough man because it's like the one thing I'm learning as well is you know this, the careers are like roller coasters like if you have the massive highs, it's gonna have like mm. and that's tough like how do you how does an artist go from being like this person that everyone's in awe of just been a normal person again
1: i really like um how retch seems to have been that guy who's had a really long career mm-hmm. and longevity mm-hmm. and he almost seems like a champion now mm-hmm. and you always see so many younger artists get so like excited and gassed when he like plays their song or tweets yeah, yeah, them or yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. what do you think it is about him that's made him that guy that has i don't want to say the God, godfather's not the right term mm-hmm. and obviously <laughs> that's Wiley's or jammer's depending yeah. how you look at it now <laughs> but um it's uh what do you think about him that's made him that sort of figure for so many people is it because oh. he was maybe one of the, f- the first to come no, through that so way in
2: his circle he was one of the last because yeah. he uh, was like there was other people that had their chance before oh yeah, and Tip he had to, to, to wait it out and yeah. but and I, I think fundamentally he just loves music but then he still has to be this competitive figure that wants to compete. So it, it, it's a jux of, like, you love music and that's inherently within you. Uh-huh. And that's the one thing I love for him because if there was, like, this big name who to work with, but there was someone else who was supremely talented, he would pick the talented person every day. And I would be the one that's like, OK, I get that, but we'd actually, we do actually need this. And he's like, but I'm going to do that. And he kind of sticks to his guns. And I feel like that will always afford him a certain level of respect Uh and longevity. Um, His albums seem to
1: be quite culturally aware as well. He always talks about what's going on and obviously when Mark Duggan happened and all those things, he was very, he spoke out about it a lot and I think that really brought him into a lot of people's consciousness that maybe didn't see him that way.
2: Yeah, because I feel like sometimes, yeah, that, I say that those type of records and those albums are easier, not, yeah, are more fun and easier to make than even the ones that are like, Going to be hits because you'll just be like, no, this is what we're doing because it's important. Yeah. But then the hits like, oh shit, gotta have this, gotta have that. But the only issue in that is that like, you know, we all have like bills and all to pay. So it's uh-huh. like you still have to financially find a place where you can make a living because it's like that 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 that's a tough thing. But but I feel like mentally for him, he just needs to keep doing what he does yeah. and yeah. be happy doing that.
0: What um just to slightly wrap up, what do you think some of the biggest challenges are facing managers today?
2: Well, so I sat in this manager meeting um, and there was these big managers in there that managed like big Gun chair. And um, <laughs> like, and David Joseph was in there and one of the guys challenged him and was like, you're not supporting young managers. And he's like, well, he's like because you used to give us money to help us with our offices and our overheads. Mm. And he's like, how are these young people supposed to come through? And I mean, that was that was a lesson to me. And I was like, wow. And I just feel like, look, a lot of the artists that come through, um, a lot of these um, managers, they normally have like a best friend or someone that believes that no one cares about. And then they're just like that. Wow. But if a manager's like, wants to support that artist and that, and it's taking a while and they, they can't earn a living, Ultimately, I think, like, creativity suffers because uh, there should be something, do you know what I mean? Mm, Some type of support thing, some type of benchmark where it's like, okay, at least I know, like, my bills are covered and I'm chasing this thing because it's almost like the wild, wild west where it's like survival of the things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or survival of
1: the richest, depending on how (laughs) you're doing. Because then if you look
2: at some of the managers, it's like, if they have a lot of the guys that are able to stay around come from affluent backgrounds uh-huh. yeah of course and it's like it affords them time
0: yeah of course it does yeah.
2: time more so than anything and it's like but there's so much talented people uh-huh. like, and you and i feel like yeah they just need a bit more support to be able to like because i feel like as well is the truth about like management and that is you've got to kind of be a maverick yeah you know like you've had to take a train here from scotland like Why? Do you know what I mean? But you're doing that just because, because you just love, right? But you you should be able to claim that back from someone where it's like, do you know what I mean it's like yeah. until it happens and totally, it, yeah yeah yeah, yeah shout out our sponsors yeah are <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well,
1: sponsored by able, just in case they were listening yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're helping us out <laughs> but
2: no no you're right you're, yeah. you're
0: totally right like yeah. there's an amazing <laughs> uh, young manager I know from Australia mm. who is on a kind of bursary I guess from the Australian government and she's been able to take her artist this girl Angie McMahon um, who I think is totally independent and she's toured Europe now twice she's been in the States and she's just done a couple of dates with like Mumford and Sons mm. now she wouldn't have had that time if she didn't get funded to come to London for six months to live and just meet everyone. She'll, she'll have been in and out of this building and she hustled and she worked really hard and now her artist debut album's coming out and it's doing well. And It's like, maybe that's what you know, some tiring. companies need. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Just like, t- because it's like, you see like Hedy won, yeah? His manager was going uni in Nottingham and then got in some awful trouble where these guys had like set upon him and the manager says to Heddy. Hedy, the manager the head, he said to the manager. No, the manager said to heady one, "We're going to studio, and he makes this song called No." And now he's like, he's about to turn out to Briton Academy. He's gonna sell that out. Yeah. That, but if the guy doesn't have that vision, do you know what I mean? And it's like that's what made it happen, yeah. Mm. And it's like, you know, he, he could have just went the wrong way. And it's like the manager says, "No, let's go to the studio." He makes that song whoosh, viral, bam, bam, bam. You know, yeah. And it's like it's weird because I feel like. When we all meet each other, we don't even have to explain. We're just like, oh, I get you. Because we're a bit, like, we're out-of-the-box thinkers and the normal world doesn't really get it. But it's like, you sh- they just need a bit of time, a bit of, like, introductions to be able to, like, yeah, get absolutely. them on that path.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, as well, one of the things that one of the other managers we spoke to touched on was this, obviously, like, you need to live. But I think, I think it was Charlie that said, I can't remember, who said the problem was, was that even though I obviously am a manager so I can commission... Like, I felt really guilty taking 20% commission off for 500 quid because he needed that to live as well. But it's like, so at what point do I feel I'm safe to commission and I don't feel like an arsehole, even though I'm completely in rights to do it because I'm your manager? Like, there's that weird relationship balance that she said she'd struggled with for a bit. Yeah,
2: so, like, even now, like, I... Some of the smaller rats, I won't. I just won't. But then, obviously, there's still, like, people that I have to, like, give money every month for all the rest. But I'm like... Let's get it to a certain stage first, because it, it, it it's tough. Like when I was doing, so when I got that fifty grand for Hamza, obviously I had my job and I was I was here as well, and I actually was like taking money at my pay and be like, Oh so that person's gonna get six hundred quid a month to keep doing it. That person and everyone's like, "Well, we're just trying to survive to to kind of make it, and maybe in a year's time it will make sense and that like, everyone will be doing well." And just, so sometimes people are like, oh great, but well, you got a job I'm like, yeah, but they would tell you themselves that I would take money out my pace and be like, Cool, you're getting that, you're getting that. Let's see. And you know, someone might get in advance, but albums take four years to come out. So that manager's salary might have to sh- that money they commission they got, when they kind of stretch over four years with no other income. They might have only made ten grand a year. Cool. But That's trying to follow yeah, the yeah. artists around the world, so it's like it's tough. Let me tell you about how like the Rupert effect. So I when we first were doing the rich thing, I said to... There's a guy called Ian Henry who worked for Jackie Davidson. And I was like to him, oh, I've got to do a contract with rich. um And he's like, oh, our, our uni lecturer, because I didn't pick music as a um, as a um, degree, does that. So then I said to him, oh, and he's an accountant. He introduced us to these guys at Sheffield, yeah? So we met the guy, only met one. That accountant now does Stormzy, no. My jammer. <laughs> 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 Everyone, and he's
1: not based in London, so he's probably cheaper, yeah. Like, <laughs> in Sheffield,
2: and he does all like no most way. of the urban scene. Wow, I, that was all from awesome, that.
0: Ian Henry, that's
2: brilliant. I mean, when I first met Stormzy Banja, he came to meet me, and he was like, Oh, no accountant will take us on. They said, We're not ready yet. What,
1: yeah, it doesn't. That's, that's insane <laughs> to me. Like, that's actually insane. Accountants are the new A&Rs. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get it. We don't want to take it on. I mean, that's insane.
0: Wow. Um, I think that feels like a fairly good place to wrap it up. Yeah, unless definitely. you've got one pearl of wisdom.
2: Um, yeah, so the last thing I'd say is that, like, Richard Antwoe, sadly passed away, he has got an amazing scholarship at Westminster Uni. Um, it's if you're from a of particular background it's fully funded so if you could just kind of look online about it it's an amazing opportunity the last person was able to get like a number of records on the gets album and now it's moving forward to have a great career so Yeah, please. That'd be amazing. He'll be really happy about that.
1: Definitely. And we will put the link to that scholarship on uh, the podcast description as well. So if anybody wants to check it out, they can. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Zion. It's been great to chat to you.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: Yeah, we'll see you soon.
0: And all the best. Cheers, man. And we have found our way back to the Sony Canteen. We've got a little coffee. We've got a little orange juice and I think we should decompress about that interview that was amazing
1: wow so much wisdom in that that was incredible um, as you heard I wanted to talk about the funding circle quite a lot because I thought that was really interesting because obviously we had that Merck interview the episode before and he talked about you know looking at funding in different ways and not thinking you have to go to traditional labels or traditional publishers you can talk to people who work in different worlds and I really like the idea that even though he was a successful, he's a successful manager in his own right, and he probably could have just gone into a label and got 50 grand if he wanted to. He didn't want to. He wanted to have the time and do it on his own. And I think that's so interesting and so important for so many managers to learn.
0: And it is, I'm really glad he cleared up and said as well that, of course, he was in a strong position. He had had an incredibly successful management career with Rich 32 before he made that creative decision to go and do something different. But it doesn't mean if you don't have that huge back catalogue, you can't look at it in a very business sense and go to someone with money and say, we're going to try this, this and this. Here's why we think it's going to work. I won't we'll pay you back the loan if not really interesting way to do it and I also loved when he was talking about uh, Rich D2 in the early days and you know they've only got one like single they've only got a single deal it's not even an album deal it's not a lot of money he's still driving the car as the tour manager he's doing everything but at the same time Rich D2 is literally blowing up he's on radio it's all going he's getting PAs and I just loved that. you know he's kind of seen it from every side and he was so honest about that anxiety of waking up before the whole crew when he's on the road and checking those emails because he just doesn't want to miss anything. I cannot like, I cannot empathise with that feeling enough and I'm sure it's one that's shared by a lot of young managers as well.
1: I also just want to touch on something that Zion talked about in the podcast and that's the Richard Antwai Scholarship. Now for those who don't know, the University of Westminster does an MA in Music Business Management and there is a scholarship called the Richard Antwai Scholarship which aims to allow black and ethnic minority students to have a full scholarship to go and do this course. It really is an amazing thing to do and an amazing scholarship and opportunity for anybody who is truly interested in music business management so please go and apply. You can search Richard Antwai Scholarship online, Antwai spelled A-N-T-W-I. The closing date is the 31st of July. literally exactly two weeks from when this pod drops. So if you're interested in that, please check it out. And if you do apply, give us a tweet and let us know.
0: We are also looking for any questions at the end of this season, Sophie and I are going to do an episode, which is probably going to get the least number of listens, but we're going to explain (laughs) a little bit about what we've done in the past, where our careers have taken us to this date, why on earth we started this podcast, and we'll do a little recap of all the things we found out throughout season one. So if you've got any questions you want to ask us, please, 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 tweet us publicly at manage that pod or find us on Twitter and drop us a little DM um, as always thank you so much to our sponsors AWOL I'm going to shout that really loud because we're in the Sony canteen <laughs> AWOL the excellent, very artist-friendly distribution company and, of course, to our supporters at the Music Managers Forum. Um, without both of those organisations, this podcast would not be existing. The
1: Twitter and the Instagrams are at Manage That Pod. And also, check us out, iTunes, Spotify, all those things. Give us a review, give us feedback.
0: So, from the Sony Canteen, thank you. I've been
1: Ali. I've been Sophie.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: How Did You Manage That? is a podcast brought to you by the Music Managers Forum, a.k.a. the MMF and AWOL. The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Hullock and Annie McCrae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.